Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us today here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the last lesson in our series, Back to the Start, a study of the gospel. We started our series on the gospel uh, all the way back on June 6th, and we have had seven or eight lessons now about the gospel, what it says, what it means, the implications, and how you live it out in the world. And I've been struggling for a couple weeks now to figure out what it is that I wanted to say to you on this, the last lesson in this series. When I sat down to finally write everything out, I found that the notes I had were a jumble of different thoughts and ideas. There was still so much that I felt like I needed to say, but not sure how I should say it. And there were many reasons uh, why I think my mind was racing in so many different directions. Uh, when I first started this series, our nation was breaking out into unrest in every corner as people rose up in protest over the murder of George Floyd. In the last eight or nine weeks, there has been commentary, again, from every corner of our country. And oftentimes, there are voices that are Christian or that call themselves Christian that have spoken into the discord. Now. Those of you who know me well know that I'm not a big fan of social media, and so I don't engage in a lot of dialogue on social media or uh, in other forums. Uh, if there is something that I think is important for me to say, then I'll write an article or share my thoughts through a video or something else like that. But even though I don't contribute to social media on a regular basis, I am one of those that lurks in the background. And I look at what people are saying, I read through different discussions, and I try to understand uh, where people are coming from. And sometimes I feel like I do a good job of that, and sometimes I don't feel like I do a very good job at all. Uh, some good friends of mine that are also pastors have had to wade into waters with their churches that I have not had to wade into with you, and my friends have done so with grace and love. And as a pastor, you know, one of the most difficult things that I have to do is to have the wisdom to know when to speak uh, words of love and encouragement and grace and when to speak words that challenge and maybe push you to new conclusions that you might not come to on your own. And by being a spectator in these conversations, I have been able to observe some things that have I don't know, led me to a couple of conclusions. First of all, people are struggling with what it means to be a Christian in an environment where we are being challenged and stretched in ways that we never would have imagined. The things that have happened this year, some of them good, some of them bad, a lot of them challenging have pushed our understanding of uh, not only who we are as a nation, but who we are as people and, and who we are as Christians. And I have seen people struggle to try to find answers to that question of who am I and what does it mean to be a Christian right now? And that's led me further to something that has come out of all of this that I have been wrestling with. And that is what I am going to call the Christian voice. Uh, the Christian voice is the one that is speaking into things on the national stage. 
when I listen to the Christian voice on the national stage, though, and I see the statements or I hear what is being said, there seems to be something missing from the Christian voice. And that something is the gospel. And the voice that I hear most often is not the voice of Jesus. Now, look, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I understand that Christianity needs to have a voice when it comes to social issues, and we need to speak into racism, inequality, oppression, and injustice wherever we see it. And I think, at least I hope, I have made it very clear throughout this series that I believe Christianity needs to speak into what is going on in our world. But I've been troubled by the fact that there are other messages that get lumped into the Christian message that tend to overshadow what Christianity is all about. And so as I wrestled to come up with what I wanted to say to you today, I was actually led to this one last question. What does the world need to receive from those who are followers of Jesus? And the answer that I've come to is this. The world needs to hear the gospel preached, and they need to see the gospel lived. So ultimately, I guess this is the last thing that I want to say to you. The gospel is more important than anything. And if people are not hearing the gospel in our message, then we need to change our message. Now, this might seem like it's common sense. Of course we want people to hear the gospel, and of course we are speaking the gospel, but I can't help but feel like this is not as common as we want to make it out to be. And there's a simple reason why. It is really easy for us as Christians to make other things as important or even sometimes more important than the gospel message. Now, to be fair, I'm not sure that we are always aware that we do this. But that speaks to how easy it is for us to do because there is just one simple explanation that kind of backs this up. There are things, whether they be issues or concerns or beliefs, that seem really important. And they seem really urgent. And it seems like we should speak into these things, and sometimes as Christians we can let those issues, concerns, or beliefs become the main message that people hear from us. And I know this happens. I know people who have had lots of conversations with Christians, who know all about what Christians believe, and yet they have never heard the gospel from a Christian. And I'm sure that I'm not alone. So if nothing is more important than the gospel message, what do we do 
when other things began to creep into its place. Well, let's look at a biblical example of how this happened and how, how, how easy it is for us to let some other message take the place of the gospel or alter the gospel message entirely. Now, if you've been involved in our Wednesday night Bible study, you know that there was nothing more important to Paul than the message of the gospel. And I know that I've talked about this a little bit in the series, but indulge me as we sort of dig into this again. Now, we have to understand the situation that Paul found himself in. He was traveling around preaching the gospel to people who had maybe never heard about Jesus before. And his message was the gospel message in its most basic form. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So Paul is reminding this community in Corinth of the gospel that he had preached to them. And this is the gospel, the core of it, pretty much in its entirety. The root of the whole belief system that Paul had instilled in this church. Jesus is the Son of God. He died, was buried, and rose again. This is the point of the story. This is the foundation that the Christian life is built upon. And most everything else that we see from Paul is commentary on what this message of Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection mean to us. Now, the people that he was teaching, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the Gospels. They had the teachings of Paul. And then maybe later on, they had the letters that Paul would send back to them. But Paul had a particular problem, which was as he was traveling around these areas, when he left, there were others who would go in behind him and they would sometimes preach a different gospel. They were preaching a, what I like to call a gospel and, or a gospel plus. And basically what they were doing was they were adding on to the message of the gospel. So Paul had given them this core, but others were coming in saying, well, yes, it's that, but it's also this, or yes, it's that, but it's also this. So when Paul wrote back, he often had to remind these places he had been, these people that he had taught the gospel to, uh, what he had preached to them. And he was pretty serious about the gospel message not being changed. From Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now we say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So let's not be confused about where Paul was coming from. He had preached the gospel, and the gospel was the heart of it all. And he did not want that message to be changed for any reason, but he found, again, that people were distracted from the gospel by things that seemed to be really important, but ended up not being very important. The best example I could find of this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, some of those words may be pretty surprising to you, but Paul found himself in a very frustrating place where he had to let the Corinthian church know exactly what he felt. And he felt these things and thought these things for good reason. Number one, there was division in the church. Now, I'm sad to say that we are kind of used to division in the church and have even come to accept it in some cases as that's just how it is. But Paul never envisioned that there would be division within the body of Christ. And he knew just how serious of an issue it was. Within the early church, division about the gospel and what it meant and what it said could have very well been the death of Christianity. And secondly, they basically invented an issue to cause this division. Paul preached a gospel that was centered around Jesus. Cephas preached a gospel that was centered on Jesus. Everyone who was baptized was baptized into Jesus. But the church had taken it upon themselves to assign individual importance based on who had baptized them. Oh, I was baptized by Paul. Well, I was baptized by Cephas. And as if these things made a difference and made them more important within the body of Christ. Oh, and by the way, those that tried to just rise above 
and say that they just followed Christ, they did not escape Paul's criticism. Now, Paul's message to them was simple. This is all about the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. It's not about Paul or Cephas or Apollos or anyone else. It is only about Jesus. And Paul went so far as to say that he was glad he didn't baptize anyone else so that he could not be used in this game any further. And then he makes that statement. Did you see it? I was not sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, what does all of this tell us? It tells us that we will find a way to prioritize other things over the gospel. And, and not only that, but we will look for a way to use our faith to make ourselves more important than others or to gain some sort of power over them. It happens all the time. I was reading an article uh, the other day that spoke to the effects, of, the effects of individualism within the church. And the basic argument was that within our country, we are very individualistic people. Uh, we believe that we all have certain rights and that these rights are afforded to each individual person who's a citizen of our country. Now, this is good and one of the foundations of our country. It's what so many have fought for and what many continue to fight for. But underlying this is this concept of the American dream. Everyone has a dream, uh, the life that they hope to have. And we think, whether actively or passively, that everyone deserves the right to pursue that dream as long as it does not violate anyone else's dreams or the rights that they claim as a citizen of this country. Now, what's been so challenging about the last several months is that people have stood up and they have said, there has not been an equal opportunity to pursue our dreams. That things are, in fact, not equal no matter how much we might want to believe that they are. And certain people, either because of the color of their skin or where they were born or their educational opportunities or even their family's economic history, have not been able to have the same kind of dream as others. And this has been a hard truth that has come out in our country. And what has been most interesting to me about our journey through this process is how hard it is for people to recognize that they have played any part in this inequity. Now, maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, after all, no one enjoys hearing that they did something wrong, let alone that they played any part in a system of oppression. And there are truly, truly deep-seated ideas that are so inexorably wound into the roots of who we are that we don't know how to unwrap them without pulling up the whole plant. But that leads me to this base statement. If we are Americans before we are citizens of the kingdom of God, then this will continue to be a struggle. A struggle to know what it means to be Christian in this place and time. 
a struggle to know how to fight against oppression, a struggle to know how to stand up for things that we have done wrong or things that others have done wrong before us. And I know you're probably asking, well, wait, how did this go from Paul in Corinth to America and what is this even about? I know I need to get somewhere near a point, so stay with me. And I guess this is it. It's that Paul believes that the gospel eliminates our individualism and our rights. The church is not for individuals. It is the body of Christ, the head of whom is Jesus himself. It is a bunch of different parts making up a whole and while as humans we point out more and more it would seem the things that are the differences between us the gospel points out how all things in us are the same while humanity divides the gospel unites there is no place for individualism within the body of christ and when we change the message to somehow support ourselves and who we think we are and who we should be, we run the risk of emptying the cross of its power because it is the cross, our need for Jesus, that unites us. And when we put other things in its place, it takes away from the message of the cross. And by the way, Paul got this idea from Jesus. Read through the Sermon on the Mount again, and you will be hard-pressed to say that Jesus is very concerned about your rights as a person, or who you are and what you can do as an individual. What he is concerned about is us living for the kingdom and not for ourselves. And Paul had this fundamental understanding of himself in the world. When we come to Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. And he said this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, we have died with Christ. And because I have died with Christ, I no longer live for myself. I live for him. And he died for the world. And maybe it's here that I find the answer I am looking for. To the question of what should the voice of Christianity be today in this culture, in this place, in this time, in this nation, in the middle of this confusion and hurt and unrest and distrust. People outside of Christianity are looking at us and asking what it is that we really care about. And the problem is that there is a lot of talk about Christianity and not enough discussion about the gospel. Where is the gospel? And at the bottom of this, there is a challenge that Paul puts in front of us, just as he put it in front of 
the Galatians, just as he put it in front of the Corinthians, just as he put it in front of the Philippians. And the question that it all boils down to is that if you have heard the gospel and you have accepted Jesus, then where does your allegiance lie? What is it that defines who you are? Because if it is the gospel, then the gospel precedes everything. It precedes everything. Family, friends, party affiliation, nationality. The gospel comes before everything. And the gospel forms your response to everything. And the message that Christianity has to give is the gospel. That God loves the world. That we have eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus. And if we are going to speak on behalf of Christianity, then our message has to match the message of Jesus before it matches anything else. May we speak the truth of Jesus into this world. And the truth of Jesus is the gospel that God loves the world. That Jesus came and lived here with us, that he died for us, that he was buried and that he rose again. And that in him rising from the dead, we have life forever with God. The gospel message is that God loves you. The gospel message is that God loves all those who are lost and hurting and in need of a savior. The gospel message is that we are all in need of a savior. And the gospel implores us to stand on it alone and to speak the truth, the love, the radical love of Jesus into every corner of this world until he comes again. Thank you for being here with us. I'm excited about what's coming up next. We are joining together with churches all over the Bay Area, some of whom have already completed a series about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. So I hope you'll join us next week for that the start of that series. And in the meantime, I hope that you are compelled to share the love of God with a world that needs to hear that God loves them. I'll see you next time.